the award-winning Crunch Time. Four years ago. What price of stoppage. Elliott's onto it. Kicks out to the wing. Josh Dacos in pursuit. Kelly comes at him. Josh is able to gather, being pursued. Turned his hips forward and got away. Kicks perfectly. Hoskin Elliott marks. Collingwood fans rise as one. Hoskin Elliott has the ball for as long as he's allowed. He lays it off to the side, and it's safe. It's safe. <laughs> Collingwood survive. The quintessential preliminary final thriller. Craig McRae's men will go to the grand final by the margin of one point. Yeah, we're really proud of our journey. We were mentioned during the week about you know, it takes two years to get to these moments, or our story is that at least. Um, you know, even after the game, I mentioned on the whiteboard, you know, two years of doing one-on-one fight drills. Like we do it every every session, two minutes of it, tick off, two minutes, next one. I don't know how many hours that is, but you saw some of those contests in the last quarter, how much we rehearsed those moments. So, yeah, now we, we sit in this and take a little bit of a breath and be really proud of what we've, we've achieved so far. A year on from one point preliminary final heartbreak, Collingwood triumphs by that narrowest of margins in a heart stopper to book passage to next week's Premiership decider. We'll run the welfare check on the Magpies the morning after. When you're playing finals, you test every team you play against physically and that's what they do to you as well. So, uh, you know, we'll go out there and try and, and play our, our tough and hard brand, which I think we've played for the majority of the year. and. That's Carlton's DNA as well, so it should be a really tough final. What I will say is that uh, I used to believe um, beforehand that uh, you need to be able to play in finals to be able to learn how to to win them. Um, I have a very different experience at Carlton because uh, we're playing in games that are big all the time. And I think our last couple of weeks, if it gets louder than that, I'll be somewhat surprised. Um, so we feel like we're pretty ready. The Gabba prepares for a navy blue invasion as Brisbane and Carlton bring their hopes and dreams to battle it out for a place on the billing in the 2023 AFL Grand Final. We're absolutely delighted to be here today to, uh, to welcome Adam Muse to the club as our 42nd VFL AFL coach. We're not going to put a ceiling on where we, where we could finish, so um, I get huge upside on watching what other teams have done, like GWS have gone from um, the bottom half of the ladder and playing in a prelim tonight. So, um, not to say that that's what we're going to do, but that's what we're going to strive to do. So, um, I want our players walking into the footy club thinking that they can um, make the top four next year. So, uh, but we won't put a ceiling on it. There might be some bumps along the road, and um, as a footy club, we'll be really strong during that period. So, can't wait to get started. And the new era dawns at Richmond as the Tigers opt for a new voice. Adam Uze graduates to the ranks of senior coach, winning the race for the job at Punt Road. This is the preliminary final edition of Crunch Time. They say it's the hardest game to win all season and there's nine and a quarter minutes of scoreless footy at the end last night that will forever stand as testament to that. Collingwood 
by one point over the Giants to claim the first place in the grand final. We're sitting here in the sunshine in Brisbane looking out at the Gabba, which has been prepared for what's to come at quarter past five this afternoon. This is crunch time for the Berwick Motor Group, home of the, home of the GWM Cannon Range, and Azito powering DIYers all day, every day at Bunnings. Jared Waitley with you. Luke Hodge is alongside me. Hello to you, Hodge. Morning, Jared. Uh, I've told you many a time how much as a player I hated prelim finals because on one side of things you win and it's, it's your focus on, but if you lose and in a in a heartbreaking loss as last night, you've got a whole week to look after it and then a whole six months of pre-season to think about it. But as a spectator, I absolutely love it because what we've seen over the last few prelims with Collingwood Sydney last year and then what we saw last night... Tell you what, that was some entertaining games. Have you ever seen a player quite so emotional as Toby Green in the aftermath last night? No, that that was uh, that was tough to watch because uh, you know as a player how much you put into it, and especially a bloke who, who's come so far, not only as a player but as a person, as a leader, um, and and the the emotion that he showed afterwards. He was the Channel Seven interview that he had. He was holding back tears. But then we crossed to him about three or four minutes later and he was with his uh, girlfriend and I think it was his mum and he was uncontrollable. The emotion that was just the outburst of where they'd come from, where they got to and just the heartbreaking loss, yeah, you really did feel for him and, and his teammates. And the other side of that was the run of Jordan Degoe from the bench to the <laughs> middle as the joy was just all-encompassing. Dermot Brereton, it was, it was one hell of a spectacle in its own peculiar way. Extraordinary game, wasn't it? It's just unbelievable to watch I'll take you back, Jared, to your you interviewed Craig McRae about a, a so-called wayward Jordan Degoe. And he said, I want him to come down the club. I want to put my arms around him. Remember that interview? And there was there was division within Collingwood people. Should we trade him out? Should we let him go? Unpalatable actions to some tolerate, tolerated by others. But he made his way through. They backed their man in. And the history books now show that in 2023, they've made a grand final. And without Jordan Degoe, they don't make that grand final. What a story that he's been able to propel them into that. And they've backed their man in. Well done. Powerful and brutal oh. in the way that he played at the source. He was, he was ablet. He was a bit of ablet, a bit of Judd. He was He's ablet on ball. Yeah. I mean, Gary. <laughs> yeah. But it was... It was you looked at him. Every time he got the ball, he looked at the opposition. He looked at GWS players. He went, you're not tackling me. The power, the burst, the speed that he had, he just took it to another level. And look, his start just got him off the, on, the, on the right foot. And that crowd was so loud early. But the, the thing, one of the long suits of the Giants game is they are beasts in the middle. He played them on a break. I mean, young Tom Green is huge. He's a big, big man. And you've got Canilio. You've got Ward. you they threw Callahan in there as well. They've got big, big men who are clearance beasts. He doubled the next best on the ground for clearances. It was at his will. It was at his mercy. They were plus 18 for clearances. So yeah, it's awesome. it was the goey, yeah. but they, they knew it was a big challenge in there because of GWS have been able to do whatever they've wanted throughout the midfield, across half back in the forward line. They've had no real pressure, but it starts on ball. It starts with the guys in the middle setting the tone, saying, we're going to battle this right from that first bounce. And that's what he did, led by Penelbury and the, and the other guys in there. It was, it was really good to watch. So I, I, not that we, I always, you know what I'm like. I read the stats and they verify what I'm seeing. Um, five of the top six clearance players were Collingwood players. But GWS, they convincingly won the contest around the ground when the ball was in contest. So it was imperative that they had to win in the middle of the ground. And and I think when we, unless something extraordinary, and I mean uber extraordinary happens, 
next week. That's Jordan Degoe's greatest game. Well, there were eight stoppages in the last two minutes as Collingwood killed the game and Dugowie was watching on from the bench, which is a peculiarity in its own right. There's a lot to play with out of last night. There's a lot to pull out. There's going to be some moments the Giants players will be haunted by right throughout the summer as they contemplate their next campaign. There's also a bit of incident and controversy out of all of it as well. Tom Morris rounds out our quartet today, Tommy. fresh from winning the Elf Brown Trophy. Hello to you, Tom. G'day, Jared. G'day, Hodgie and Derm. It's... Uh I want to start with the best prelim finals of the last 20 years. And I think last night was right up there, not in terms of scoring, but in terms of the pure entertainment and the engrossing nature of the game. It reminded me of, um, from a pure entertainment perspective, of the 2007 prelim, Collingwood Geelong, even GWS and the Dogs in, in 2016. You couldn't take your eyes off it. But there is a lot of news, Jared. Brent Daniels, of course, we'll get to that whenever you want. And Dan McStay's injury too. He's had scans this morning. Okay, so Graham Wright's going to join us for that welfare check in a few moments' time. Let, let's start with the Brent Daniels issue and hear from Adam Kingsley in the aftermath. Yeah, I'm really disappointed to lose Brent Daniels for a HIA assessment that, that he, he passed comfortably in the last five minutes of the game, which hurt, hurt us uh, around the ball with a bit of leg speed, a bit of overlap run. So that, that's extremely disappointing. You sound very disappointed that he um, went through the, the protocols. I mean, with, with concussion, the issue it is that I mean, they tend to wear on the uh, you know, abundance of caution. Did you feel like um, yeah, did you feel like it was necessary to go through those tests at the time? I haven't seen the incident, but from what I'm led to believe, it didn't warrant having to take him off the field to assess it. So that felt very much directed at the medical staff in the arc and their insistence upon the Giants. They were a little bit clearer on the circumstances here, Tom. So step us through the incident and the timeline, if you would. So this is how it played out chronologically. With 14 minutes to go in the last quarter, Nick Dacos tackled Brent Daniels to the ground in front of the bench on the members' wing. Daniels uh, played out the next eight minutes. He contributed to several bits of play. He even helped set up Jesse Hogan's goal, which brought the margin back to... One point. In that time, the ARC spotters, who are medical professionals uh, employed by the AFL, charged solely with spotting potential concussion incidents, asked the GWS bench to have a look at Daniel uh, to have a look at Daniels, given his head hit the ground in that tackle. And I say have a look at Daniels, as because it, it is entirely up to the doctors whether they choose to take that on board or not. Now, on this occasion, the doctors did. Uh, take that on board, the GWS doctor. The runner went out to Daniels, told him to come off the ground, which he did with six minutes remaining. And then the GWS doctor had a choice in that moment to quickly assess him and send him back on or to deliver a scat test. And the doctor chose the latter, meaning Daniels was out for a mandatory 15 minutes, even though he did pass that. And given there was six minutes left, he was out for the game. Um, initially, GWS, as you heard with Adam Kingsley just then, felt dudded. They felt as if the AFL had told them what to do, but the AFL doesn't order the doctor what to do. The AFL has no overriding power over the doctor what to do on the bench. It's up to the GWS doctor or any club doctor how to um, act in any given situation. And in the cold light of day, I think it's pretty clear and, pretty, and um, I think now GWS concede that this was a combination of the ARC officials asking them to have a look, but also their own doctors making a judgment call, and clearly a conservative one, but one that's based on um, their medical profession. Tommy, can you uh, confirm or not, did last week with uh, the Weedering and Cripps mm. incidents, did they uh, get asked by the ARC management to go and speak to their players and assess them? 
because Weedering looked like he was out. And if you get elbowed and a broken nose, um, that that's surely the question has to be asked. The, the official line from the AFL is, we looked at that incident or those in- incidents with Jacob Weedering and they were given the all clear. So based on that, the Carlton doctors weren't uh, told to have a look at those players. So I feel like I can add to that. So Cripps came off the ground to get his nose attended to. Yep. So that gives a moment for the HIA to happen. Yep. The, the more curious one was Weedering, who we saw vision on your broadcast of the doctor looking at the Weedering vision and then choosing not to. So in when this first came up from Kingsley, this felt like a reaction to Weedering not being assessed last week and then sort of further pressure this week to actually be thorough. But that's not the case, Tom. Not the case. And I think Adam Kingsley in the moment thought one thing, but now they've walked that back internally. I don't think there's going to be any sort of complaint or um, any official word from the Giants to the AFL to to remonstrate. I think that it's understood that there is no overriding power from these ARC medical professionals to tell the doctors what to do with a SCAT test or an HIA. That's up to the doctors on the bench. The ARC professionals are simply there to um, oversee things if the doctors on the bench miss any potential concussion incidents. So, Tommy, the vernacular used, we would advise, what was it? We would advise you to take a look at yep. player. Has Does that carry uh, gravitat? Does it force you to act in a certain degree or is that totally on the club to determine how deep, whether it's one of those two style tests? Is that on the club? That's on the or club. Or anybody, has anybody disobeyed in that regard? Say, so if we... we we would recommend you view the player and they go, yeah, we've, we've looked at it on screen, but there's no need to assess yeah. him off the ground. Put it this way, if the Giants decided to leave Brent Daniels on the ground, the AFL would have had nothing to say. So it's entirely up to the club. Okay. Yeah, so that's the weedering incident from last week. Tommy, have these uh, ARC professionals been for every game this year? So uh, for the, could this where could the Port Adelaide incident we had where the doctors got fined? Could they have stepped in and said something there? They've been boosted since the Ali Ali incident. Um, and they're clearly more, um, I guess, more cognizant of the situation since that. But I, I do believe there's been an ARC official in the ARC every game with a medical background that's there to be a spotter. That's what they call themselves, they're spotters. Um, so, yes, they have been there. It shows how high stakes it is because if there was one player, as we, we're sitting here at the Gabba, that's where Shorty Daniels won that final for them, a semi-final in the, in the dying minutes of a game like that. So it, it does illustrate, Tom, just how high the stakes are on those calls in real time and, and, and the long-term welfare versus the, the, right, the need right now. Yeah, it, it's so intense in that moment. There's six minutes left in the game and there's no wriggle room. As soon as they decide to do a scat test... Brent Daniels is out for the match. And the other element here, and you were watching the game last night as everyone else was, Brent Daniels was over the other side of the field. So if the AFL asked the Giants doctor to get him off, it might have taken four, five, six minutes to get him off because he's on the wing on the Shane Warne side, which would have um, clearly impacted his ability to come back on as well. Um, the other element here is Nick Dacos, just quickly. There's been some talk around some MRO trouble. He'll be fine because Scott Pendlebury had his right had, had the right arm of Brent Daniels, so I can't imagine Nick Dacos is going to have any charge to face, but that was looked at by the MRO. Yeah, so just describe that 
tackle to us. So it's a tackle that begins with Brent Daniels and Scott Penderbury joins it. And because Brent Daniels, sorry, it because um, Brent Daniels is tackled into the ground by Nick Dacos holding one arm, then Nick Dacos is entitled to think that the other arm is free, but Scott Penderbury is holding the other arm. So there's no legislation against two players having a dangerous tackle on one player. Does that make sense? It, it, sorry, Hodgie, go on. Yeah, no, no, I was going to say, because a lot of the force came from Penderbury pulling the arm down. So yeah. um, Dacos was actually cautiously on the side, but because of Dacos pulled the arm down, the momentum rolled to the right, which Dacos fell into his back. So yeah. uh, Dacos should not have anything to answer at with that. Tommy, now that you're on free kicks... Any mentioning by any officials about the free kicks or the lack thereof? <laughs> uh, that was that that turned into as good a free for all as I've seen. I reckon they left a lot out there, and I'm happy for games to actually be run and contested more eagerly and physically. But when you probably could say there's somewhere between ten and twenty free kicks to both teams. No, sorry, between the two teams left out on the ground. It. It seemed different to the way the game's been played for the first 26 weeks. That was very politely put, Derm. Yeah. Yes. I, I, was, I was thinking different words. <laughs> Derm, I did ask that question this morning, and privately the AFL does concede that the game was let go, especially towards the end, but um, that, I don't think they believed there was any howlers that, was, that were missed. They, were they watching the oh, same game? So we sure. <laughs> I'm not so sure. I I'm not agree sure. with them. I'm, I'm not sure they're going to. I'm not sure they're going to. Shall we handwrite our list, or shall we? Type <laughs> it up? If, if, if that's well, that'll off. take up the show if we handwrite our list. It'll be interesting. Interesting to see how many of those umpires get a job next week, because if you go through a lot of those free kicks that were missed, you're sending them up the country. They wouldn't be. They will not be at the MCG. And I'm not being harsh on them. This yeah. is a prelim final where we put in an extra umpire so they don't miss anything, and we've got umpires that overrule from 70 metres away three weeks ago. But then it comes to a prelim when a one-point loss causes a, a win or loss in a season's finish for a team, and the umpires put the whistle away. It was a lot of those decisions were pathetic. <laughs> it's going to be hard not to. But you, it's going to be hard to maintain they don't put the whistle away. Well, you in look tight at last you look at the emotion at Toby Green last night, and you sit back. Oh, the umpires—they did not do a good job last night. Mm. They set and they let too many go away. We put in four umpires to stop certain free kicks. The Tiggy touch was one of the problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, Toby Green almost got his head knocked off just before three-quarter time. That three last kick. quarter looked a little bit like no man's land between the Turks and the Diggers. Oh. It, was, it was just <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> it was no holds barred, that's for sure. Uh, so Graham Wright's going to join us in about 25 minutes' time. What, what do we know this morning so far about Daniel McStay? We know that last night he was told that it's a suspected MCL. Now... My understanding of the MCL is that Max Gorn got back about as quick as he possibly can with that knee injury earlier in the year, which was three weeks. He arrived at scans on crutches, and we expect an announcement from Collingwood over the next couple of hours on the results of those scans, but it's not looking good, and Craig McRae said as much in the press conference. Well, the way McStay plays as well, he's a, an agile key forward. So the way he gets his space, leans up, changes direction, you can't do that with a, with a medial. That's where it's going to he, There's no chance of him playing this weekend by how much he needs his direction and change direction to, to be effective in that forward line. Yeah, he gets pushed on a fair bit. So, you, you, yeah. You feel <laughs> for him because he was, he was good last night. Contested marks, kicked a couple of important goals. Mm. Yeah. All right, so the Pies might know by the time Graham Wright joins us. Yeah. We're going to delve deep into the game itself. 8-10-58 to the Giants, 8-9-57. Collingwood's two winning scores in this final series have been 60-58. and 58. Dermot Brereton and Luke Hodge to turn their minds to that next. This is crunch time for Azito. Azito powering DIYers all day, every day at Bunnings.
You're listening to Crunch Time. Zito Power Tools. German design quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group. Collingwood into the 2023 AFL Grand Final. One point winners over the Giants. Luke Hodge and Dermot Brereton to dissect it. Hodgie, how did it happen? The how and the why? Well, the how early. Well, I was worried about the one game in 28 days. And I thought the earliest way you know that is how they start. And Collingwood started on fire. They were quick. They, they won the contested ball, as you mentioned earlier, Derm. And I thought, I thought they came up with a really good game plan, Jared. But it turned out it wasn't a game plan. They, uh, early on in the game, they were concerned with GWS's rebound run. And the, the last couple of games will... Pretty much the last 10 games GWS have played, they've been able to free-flow run, just move the ball as fast as what they want. And we knew that Collingwood were worried about that. Fly said before the game that they wanted to slow them down and put our defensive pressure onto them. So I thought the way they built the ball up, it was composed, it was it was smart enough so they could kick it to a Majacek or McStay. McStay got a couple marks out of it. But if GWS did win in the back half, Collingwood had numbers at the at the source to pressure them. It turned out that wasn't the game plan at all. That was just Jared. You said in the off the break that that was a little bit of rustiness. They didn't have the the uh, attitude to go through the middle. But as the game unfolded, it sort of let GWS go back into the way they wanted to play. So so let's break it down to the first quarter. They came in at quarter time, and and I started to get fearful for Collingwood because that pressure at that level in that quarter in quarter one was. Through the roof. It was just extraordinary. It was so good. And the Giants were two goals down. That type of pressure should give you a five, six goal lead if you have that pressure on, on on the deck for that full quarter. You'd think you'd be at least four goals ahead. And the Giants even, they probably savaged themselves with the the 50-metre penalty you and I talked through this off air. Uh, I thought they were stiff because... There was no impediment on play, and the ball got to Lockie Keefe 12 metres out from a kick, and there was no impediment, yet the umpire wouldn't allow it to be a roll-on play-on advantage. And you explained it to me that once a 50 is awarded, you can play on in the interim during that extension of the 50 metres. But when it's blown, that's correct, Jared, isn't it? I think it? I'm going to ask Ray this yeah, during the week to get good, the exact, good. to nut that exactly out. And the second one, when they got a hold on the arm for a marking contest, I think it was to Hogan, and the once again, oh. the umpire blew the whistle three seconds later. It was an eternity. They'd played on and played to the whistle or played to Bedford, not the whistle. He ran himself into the pocket, and then Riccardi had to snap. That's another simple shot at goal. And I thought, gee, for a team that's been dominated by pressure, tackling, clearance game in the first quarter, they're two goals down, and they've robbed, been robbed of a couple of goals. This is not looking good for the Magpies because no team keeps up that pressure for a full game. And then in the second quarter, they come out and they bang on four. And I thought, right, this is going to get a little ugly. Any one-point loss, as we saw last night, can be very ugly in a preliminary final. But to Collingwood's credit, the way they were able able to re-establish themselves after halftime, even after Toby kicks the first goal after halftime, just took some real resilience. We, we can drill into those stats and we can work that out. But a team that's, there, there is a style of coaching where you emotionally reach your players and Collingwood found that avenue to reach them last night, to just drive the will back into that contest after they'd banged on five in a row, the Giants, 
I mean, that's a, that's a wonderful. That's a big feather in the cap of the mindset of the Collingwood boys. But that's not a surprise, I think. No, it's but, not. But what, what what we've seen since. But since sometimes like you that. get to accept your lot and think, well, it's not ours. But yeah, so I thought yeah. they were wonderful. I think we we learned a lot from Collingwood last year with all those close victories. And the hardest thing for them, the two close games that they lost were the two finals to Geelong and, mm. and Sydney. Um, they've grown and they continue to grow. And how they spoke after the game that they're not. They won't get shy. They, they, they love the challenge. And what I, what I enjoyed about everyone who was interviewed after the game was they know what they have to do in certain times. We, we heard uh, there's been teams in development stage. Sam, Sam Mitchell lost a game early in the year to Richmond where they haven't trained the yep. last two minutes of a game because he's got more important things to teach a young side than this. When Fly got to Collingwood, he knew that they were a good, mature team, that they could take the advice and can train these kind of game situation stuff. And what we've seen, everyone knew what to do. They had stoppage after stoppage. They put Howe by himself behind the ball. When, when GWS went to equalise, they threw another one back there as well. It was just a, a well-coached, and most importantly, it's a team that listens to what their coach wants and they understand football. You, it's good to be a good footballer, but you win close games like this by understanding football. And a lot of the Collingwood players and their leaders understand the game. That's why they're able to win so many close ones. So the third quarter, when the Magpies banged on that margin, and they, that was their quarter, that was their winning quarter, no, the pressure wasn't as rampant as the first quarter, but it came back up again. They were able to force the Giants into doing something they didn't really yep. want to do. They forced them down the line. And if I'm going to be very critical... Because I still think he played a very good game. Jesse Hogan and, and Jake McCarty, and even Big Keefe when he was forward. Although they try and anchor, anchor Keefe inside twenty-five, they they recognise if it hits the deck outside there, his opponent tends to run away from him a little bit. But Riccardi and Jesse just didn't get to that down the line kick. Sometimes body blocked professionally and well. Uh, and sometimes just misread the depth of the incoming ball. And Collingwood were able to intercept that and turn it around and take it away. It also goes the other way. Is Collingwood took away what GWS normally do. So Hogan in the last 10 weeks hasn't had to get to that contest because GWS roll Stay around, deep. they go straight through the middle, they take the game on and they fly out the other side. Because of Collingwood's pressure, their frontal pressure, they didn't give them time to go through the middle because of the pressure that was put on the GWS defenders. They had to surge kick out. And you're right, the Fords need to squeeze up. But it hasn't been an issue for them of late because they haven't been under that much pressure in the back half. They've been able to do whatever they've wanted to. So this just shows another GWS side. When you get deeper into finals, pressure's going to come and you have to expect the unexpected. And those forwards have to adapt on the spot. That, you, you, it's so accurate. And people would ask... What, <laughs> Normally what? you disagree with what I say. <laughs> no, no. Because <laughs> yeah, you speak rot sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. No, but in finals... Key forwards have to accept there's more pressure in elsewhere on the ground. So whereas the really good teams, they kick it in from the kick in and somebody runs past and they've got wheels and they run past and the, and the ball goes deep into the forward line. doesn't happen in finals. No. You get pressure and the ball drops just forward of the centre and you expect, everyone else on the field expects the forwards to understand that and meet that. It's, it's, yeah, you've got to have forwards that actually go... Right, that's that's what's happening. I mean, we've seen some great, talented forwards. I won't mention names, and they just don't understand how the ball drops short. It doesn't get to where they normally go because of pressure. What normally comes into their area at speed 
drops 40 metres short, 50 metres short, up just forward of the wings. You have to understand that and tailor your game to it. And once you do that, you can turn around and run in with it. More with Dermot Burton and Luke Hodge after we check in with Mark Braybrook in the newsroom. You're listening to Crunch Time. Zito Power Tools. German-designed quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group. Dermot Burden and Luke Hodge analysing the events of last night. So there's going to be a litany of moments that will haunt various Giants players because the margin is so fine at the end. And probably the signature moment is Tom Green not squaring the ball to Jesse Hogan late in the second quarter, which it would have had the lead, what would have been 16 points, and then Green's goals 22, and then Lockie keep not giving the ball back to Toby Green in the right forward pocket early in the third quarter as well. But the Tom Green one, given he played so well... I imagine that will sit quite heavily. Yeah, and it's, it's hard to go back and, and just point your finger at one because it, it, there was a lot. I reckon there was probably five or six opportunities last night where players, even the Bedford one where he played on with the advantage, there's certain times where whether the pressure got to him, whether the occasion, whether the crowd got to him, but this is what finals does to you. you. You do things that you don't normally do. Even look at Toby Green, who he can do the most amazing things on the football field. In the second quarter, when the pressure wasn't really on, they had the momentum, he kicked it at the top of the goal square, they get a mark and goal. A minute and a half to go, he's on the boundary line, he's got Lloyd 15 metres out straight in front, he goes for a shot. So it's these are what final situations you do look back on and this is what they're going to be kicking themselves. Derm, you would have went through it, I know. We went through it through 2011, 12, 2008. Um, there's so many times you can go through games and look at things, what could I have done better? And that's how you learn, but that's they should go back and that, how can we improve on it? But no doubt it's going to be, it's going to be a tough couple of weeks for them while they digest it. Do we know if... if Adam Kingsley's an expected scoring type man. <laughs> Have you checked the expected score? No, I haven't. Where do you get that? I, Hang on, it's I'll not something I ever really. <laughs> it's not something I ever really go to. They hit the post three times. You, you normally look at the expected score if you're playing the next week. Going, hey, we 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 did enough. We did enough to say. Look, we should have won the game, yeah. like Melbourne. Melbourne yeah. said that after the first final. How about I expect Collingwood will turn up next week? Yes, yes. So the expected score for a team that's just gone out, you're not you're not looking at that at all. You're ripping that piece of paper up and throwing it in the bin. Oh, no. Well, I, I did read the, the actually true shots at goal. And that doesn't include rushed behinds or whatever. 21 to 20, the Giants. Uh, it, was, it was a ripping game of football. So it's close. I mean, yeah. that's a toss of a coin. It's, and, yeah, great they won and whatever, but it, it goes another minute or whatever. All those ifs. And, and I can hear all the Collingwood supporters as well going, hang on, we missed our fair share as well. So <laughs> yeah, I know, they did. Yeah, and and we, we sit here and we talk about the opportunities that GWS missed because they're not playing next week because we get to watch Collingwood next week. But um, Collingwood supporters are correct that they missed a lot of shots that Nick they would Dacos's normally Nick Dacos' goal when he, when he yes. ran in for the banana, I just thought that was a Monty. I'd already penciled yep. it in. So, yeah, they missed a, a simple one like it, that. Can, can I just say out there, it's amazing how much respect we have for a 20-year-old kid. And the fact that the coach says, we need a bit of drive in the last quarter, so we put our second-year bloke to the back flank to create something that 
the expectations that we have on him, that he's kicking a banana off the outside of his foot because of what we've seen him do over the first 46 games of his career, but also the coach. When you've got Penelbury, you've got Dugowie, you've got Tom Mitchell, who's a Brownlow medalist, but he leans on Dacos to throw him to halfback to create Why wouldn't something. He? He's got a body of work. I reckon I, he's played two bad games out the, of 46. This is what I'm saying. It's amazing how this bloke's in his second year, and we all look at him going, oh, he's, he's going to be a star. He's, he's started off that way, but... The expectations that we're putting on this young fellow, it's pretty its pretty big. Yeah. All right, we're going to touch base with the Pies next and just find out around the health of Dan McStay, what the progress for Taylor Adams is during the week and uh, and how they'll handle the build-up to the grand final. Oh, GWS plus four. <laughs> oh, no. So Melbourne and GWS are going to play somewhere <laughs> in the university. Play off. Expected play score off. grand final. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's easy for us to laugh, isn't it? More oh. of Crunch Time coming up next. You're listening to Crunch Time. Zito Power Tools. German-designed quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group. A great play from Friday Night Footy. For Luxus Crates. The leaders in aluminium drainage, UV stable, rust-proof and customizable on-site. Luxus Crates. Distributed Australia-wide. Kick up to full forward, McStay flies, spoil made, McCreary! Hit the snap sweetly, and propelled Collingwood back to the lead. Make it count, his mum says, and make it count, he did. Luxus Greats, the leaders in customisable aluminium drainage. You're on crunch time as we look into the pies ahead of a grand final now. Graham Wright is the general manager of footy at the pies. Graham, great to have you on crunch time. Yeah, thanks, you're Good to be here. You've been around a long time in footy. How do the emotions go in the last nine minutes of a preliminary final when it's one point the difference and nobody scores? <laughs> yeah, it was a very tense uh, coach's box, obviously, but... Um yeah, we're able to able to hold on and um, uh, fight our way back into the game. GWS had been outstanding, obviously, and um, yeah, we were able to get ourselves back into the game and and hold on. But no, very uh, tense last. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't realise it was nine minutes, but yeah, certainly the last five or six. Let's just tick through uh, a couple of the issues as they are this morning, Graham. Was, what do you know about Dan McStay's prognosis now? Uh, yeah, it's uh, obviously a medial strain. At what level? We've just had him scanned this morning, so I haven't had any um, update in, in relation to that at this stage. But I think it would be fair to say be in some doubt um, with, with him not being able to finish the game. So we'll get a, an update on that at some stage or so. I'll let everybody know. Graham, how was, yeah, how was his state? Was he Does he feel resigned to missing? Oh, yeah, really disappointed after the game, obviously. Um and uh, and fearing, uh, I suppose, the worst that that he you know he'll miss out on the grand final. But um, you know we, we need to have that confirmed, and we need to know exactly um, uh, you know exactly what he's what we're dealing with. But at this stage, as I said, I think he'd be in some doubt for sure. Who did you have out on the track this morning? What sort of options do you have? No, the, all of the guys trained this morning um, who who didn't play, so the remainder of the squad uh, were were all training this morning. So. I mean, obviously, we the the emergencies were you know Finn McRae, uh, John Noble, um, uh, Billy Frampton, and I'm just trying to recall who our other emergency was, to be honest. But we we've got plenty of options there if Dan's uh, not able to get up. But uh, yeah, as I said, we're sort of still waiting on that. But yeah, the guys got through um, everything this morning, and and um, everyone's fit and available out of that uh, group. 
and you lo- you lost Ash Johnson a couple of weeks ago, didn't you? Who might have been the the like for like, but he is he out of business? Yes, well, he, ha- he hasn't been able to do um, normal training uh, for the last week, or, or sorry, for the last couple of weeks. So he hasn't been able to join into the match play. He has a small fracture in his forearm that um, I-, I think would leave him out um, of uh, consideration for this game. But yeah, I- I'm, I'd need to have that confirmed as well. Graham, I see that Tom Mitchell's been sent for some precautionary scans this morning after pulling up sore. What's the latest with him? No, just a sore back. Um, he, he, he's had sort of back and neck issues for a number of years, Tom, so it was just a precautionary scan to make sure everything's okay with that, but I, I don't think there'll be any problem with him from uh, um, being, being available next week. It'll be hard-pressed to keep him out, but no, I think it's just precautionary scans. And as I said, he's had trouble with his back and neck for a long period of time, but it's uh, it's a management issue, and, and we're, we've been dealing with that, and, and he's been able to get through. And how confident are you that Taylor Adams will be able to play next weekend? Oh, to be honest, we haven't really discussed it or uh, or thought about it. I mean, we were really putting all our efforts into playing last night, and um, and we we weren't sort of talking too much about whether Taylor would be available or not. Um, to be honest, I'm, I'm, I haven't had any other conversations with the coach or the doctors or anyone around it at this stage. I mean, we're just trying to um, tidy up where everyone got to from last night, and then um, yeah, we'll be back at the club tomorrow, and I'm sure it'll be a conversation as the week goes on, but. Um, you know, he's got he's got a number of boxes he'd, he'd have to tick to be available. Um, but yeah, it's something we'll deal with once we get later into the week. You've been around footy for a long time. Philosophically, do you take more risks with injured players in grand finals or less risks? Oh, <laughs> it's a good question, but the reality is, I think you take fit players in. I, I think to any final, you take fit players in, but. Um, you know, we'll give him every chance to, to prove his fitness. Um, but you know, my view would be to take fit players and um, to any final to be, you know, to be um, you know, my thoughts. Graham, do you have any concerns uh, over the Nick Dacos tackle that leads to Brent Daniels having the having the HIA? Uh, I, I've only seen it once, and uh, not really. Um, I know the AFL will look at all these things, which which they need to do. Um, and I, I wasn't even uh, aware until this morning that, uh, that Brent got taken off the ground from that perspective. But the medical guys, obviously, you know, the, the, uh, those decisions are in our medical uh, staff's hands, whether it be ours or GWS's or obviously the people viewing it from an AFL perspective. So um, overall, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think we will have any issues, but I'm sure the AFL will have a look at it. So the, the Pendlebury um, having one arm held would seem to be, so you sort of look through arm pinned, head into the ground, but Pendlebury's presence feels like um, it takes things out of Dacos's control. Is Would you see it that way? I, I, to be honest, I haven't had a look at it, Jared, from, okay. from that perspective. I've had one look at it this morning and I, I, I felt it looked okay, but obviously these decisions are not in my hands as to whether it went any further, but... Um, like they do with everything. The AFL will have a look and, and I'm sure they'll let us know this afternoon as uh, as they normally would. Righty Derm here. Uh, congratulations, mate. Will you go, with, with Daniel's um, misfortune last night, will you go like for like to maintain structure or will it be given in, next man up becomes sub? Uh, it's, are you talking for next week it would, if, if Dan yeah. didn't come yeah. up? Um, yes. Oh, listen, I... I it's a really a coach's call, and when I say coaches, it's uh, it's the collective group of coaches. We'll have match committee during the week, and they'll go through all sorts of scenarios about you know, do they 
um, you know, what what they want to do in, in relation to structure and you know do do we add another tool do we add another small as you said or do we um you know does jack just come into the team but i mean we're, we're dealing with not knowing exactly what's happening with dan at the moment so all, all of those conversations to be had as we sort of get into the week like we would a normal week um you know we deal with what we know right now and then start to uh, start to get the plan in place about what's going to suit us best on the day and, and you know taking into account the, the opposition and and um and we go from there Roddy, you looked last night that uh, you were trying to look after Nick Dacos early. He spent a lot of time in the bench in the first quarter and a half, but then when it got into a bit of an arm wrestle, he spent the 100% on the field in the last quarter. Did you thought throw out the safety precautions and just let him play football? Oh, a little bit. I think it became really hard if you, from memory, um, the, the ball's on the other side of the ground a lot, so we were finding it really hard to get the interchanges uh, um done because there wasn't there wasn't uh, obviously there was no scores so it was very difficult to actually get players on and off the ground oh there was no goal sorry so that made it really difficult he, he was down to come off in the last quarter um i, I know he played 80 percent game time which we were sort of thinking somewhere between 75 and 80 would be uh what he what he'd want to play or oh, sorry what we'd want him to play but um if you know nick he doesn't want to come off at the best of times um so he'll hang in there as long as he can but yeah, and even even at the end, I know we couldn't get Geordie back on the ground, and we were trying to. And there's a couple of others that we would have liked to, um, you know, rotate through as well. But it just became really hard in the last quarter to get rotations done with the ball on the other side of the ground. Yeah, does it get tense when Dugowie sitting on the bench, the best clearance player in the game for the last seven or eight minutes? I oh, know there was a number of our coaches uh, <laughs> yelling out that we get Geordie on. I don't think anyone can hear us, but um, yeah, no, I think yeah, obviously flies down on the bench and. And Jared Wade and, uh, and Claire Pettifer, they do a fantastic job with all of that. There's just nothing you can do. You've got, you're holding up numbers. and you, um, But, you know, the last thing you want to do is have a guy run off the ground from the other side of the ground while the player's on, and then you're one short. It, it's uh, it's just impossible at times. And um, Geordie needed to come off and, and have a rest. He was he was cooked at that stage, which I think was about six and a half minutes. I can remember him running off and thinking to myself, I only want him off for a couple of minutes, but we just been yeah. getting back on. Graham, uh, thanks for your time today. Good luck for the week ahead. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Well done, Roddy. Graham Wright with the latest out of Collingwood, the general manager of football. More with Derm and Hodgie next. You're listening to Crunch Time. Zito Power Tools. German-designed quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group. It's a preliminary final you could talk about for hours. Collingwood by one point over the Giants to book their place in the grand final. And we're sitting here at the Gabba where the ground is being prepared for 5.15 this afternoon when the Lions and the Blues will meet to complete the billing. Jared Waitley, Tom Morris, Luke Hodge and Dermot Brereton in place. Just run the rule over Collingwood's game for us right now. So 60 points and 58 points to win finals. And not, not the team... That we that saw dominated the, the, the middle first part. three or two thirds of the season. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that team was an all-in team. It was it was any motion possible to move the ball forward, and we all pile in behind it. We all swarm up behind it, and we get it there in express fashion. And in the end, we make the opposition wilt, and we score heavily. This was simplistic in in a nutshell type way. 
No, this one actually is quite happy to say, right, we're, we're playing only two tallish backmen and a troubleshooter in Maynard in the back line. So we're not going to take all that many intercept marks. Um, but they still are getting their fair share. And they're a little bit more circumspect with the way they bring the ball forward with a view to not allowing the good teams to score against them in rebound. I don't, yeah, I don't know if you can go much more than that, but they're just a little bit more cautious how they bring the ball forward. Yeah, they definitely are. They went through the corridor a lot more early in the year, but what happens is if you're so dominant, we saw this with Melbourne at the start of last year, they got to round 10 and everyone's thinking, how can we beat Melbourne? Teams try things and they think, oh, this can work against them, and it, that brought the downfall of Melbourne. Collingwood were the same. Collingwood were that far in front of everyone else. So teams tried things and they realised that they needed to get stability through their core uh, the ground because otherwise they just it was a foot race and you couldn't catch them. They, had, they run in numbers. They ran in three and four. They'd give handballs. They'd get out the back to Elliot and the likes. Collingwood have changed because of teams have been so focused to get numbers in the corridor. They're going more around the boundary these days. So they're playing a lot safer, as you meant to them, which means the scoring's not as efficient. They're not scoring as high, but they're not giving up as much score as well because they can defend behind it. So that all-in nature of just piling in behind the footy and running in a wave, is that why someone like Noble loses his spot? You want less blokes to actually run forward with the ball? Yeah, well, that's, there was a play on the outer wing where I think Ginevan gave it to Bobby Hill. Bobby Hill took off, come into the corridor. They switched it across. We saw that a handful of times last night. In the first half of the year, we would have seen that five times a quarter because they were just running, they were free-falling, they were playing exciting football. But they've had to adapt because of how teams have defended against them. And good teams learn to adapt. They're still winning. It's not as bigger wins. And, and the, the, the club and the uh, supporters are a little bit more nervous with the score. But they've been able to adapt and still get the wins along the way. When we were speaking to Wrighty and I asked him about the fab the makeup of next week's team, now it would seem that it's going to be very difficult for Daniel McStay to actually get his spot back through injury. Can they survive if they change that forward line setup? I mean, the grunt player that McStay is, who's capable of taking a mark, getting to the drop of the footy, he's not a high-possession player, capable of going into the middle occasionally and taking the odd bounce, although Mason Cox and, and Darcy Cameron have got that all summed up now. Will they go to a different strategy and be one tall player, McStay, less because I can't see the natural replacement. I mean, Billy Frampton, but when I've seen Billy Frampton play as a forward, he's, well, he hasn't set the world on fire as a forward. I think he's been very good value for them in the ruck and down back as that big fella to, to lock down and lock someone away. But I can't see him reading the ball at finals tempo and pressure. I think what hurt him is Johnson. Johnson was the key one that when McStay missed early in the year. And what we have to think about Collingwood is they do adapt. They played the first part of the year with no ruckman. Then they brought in McStay, who was the backup ruckman when they, those guys were injured. He missed with 10 weeks with his finger. Johnson came back in. So Collingwood, we know they're going to try things. And they players... That's right. Ash Johnson even rucked for a little yeah, while as well. Just players, players in that Collingwood jumper will do anything for their team. And that's mm. where, if that means play out of position, as a lot of them have. What I can see happening is they've got flexibility. If they did bring in a Frampton as that centre-half forward, and he does look lost, which, let's be honest, it's not easy to go and play centre-half forward in an AFL grand final. If he does get lost, they've got the flexibility to throw him down back and put Howe back up forward. And that's that. this little but trial... But you'd be loath to break up the winning hand of of, of, of Howe and, yeah, you, you would. That, and that's Darcy what, Moore. I would start Howe back as a defender and have Frampton as that that key up forward. So so, well, so there you go. So, so, so that's the main question that they will ask themselves at selection. 
we're starting this player that comes in forward because we've got down back, locked away, settled the way we want it. Let's not tamper with that. So then it becomes, will Billy be able to do anything up forward? Or should we just go, again, even who we know will give us some excitement, some buzz around the footy, and we have to accept that we're going to be a little shorter up forward? It, it depends. If you're playing next week and you've got intercept markers, either a Harris Andrews or a Ryan Lester or, or a Weedering or yep. a Kemp if he gets back in, um, that's what you have to choose your side to battle against as well. But if I was Collingwood, I would be going with keeping your back six as it is. They tried how forward, so they know that they can go to that. It didn't work as well as when he pinched hit forward. But if they do play with a Frampton and an R forward, and then they are in trouble and need a bit of score. It's a simple swap over. Howe knows how to kick a goal. Frampton knows how to defend. But this is the flexibility that coaches and players have to go in with because we all know coaches go in with these what-if meetings where they some last an hour, some last four hours. Yeah. If this doesn't work, what happens? If this bloke gets off the handle, do we tag him? What do we do with their high half forward? They throw all these what-ifs if they're going to happen in a game just so if any situation happens, they're ready for it. And well, this is what Collingwood are going to have to do this week. So what would you do, Dermot? So... Ginevan, McRae, Noble, Frampton, maybe Kruger is active. So you have to have one to play and one as your sub. I don't think Billy's going to adjust to playing. If you fall down back, I think fantastic. Billy Frampton comes in and he, he, he goes into that spot. I don't think you can put him in the forward half under pressure and expect him to perform. I think he'll get lost up there with the pace of the ball, with the way the game's devised and had to be played. Ginevan can come in, knows what's happening. He'll give you something at ground level, space. He'll find space. And then I would think it's somebody, one of those next up, to be a worthwhile sub who can give you that extra run late in a game. I was going to say to you, Hodgie, the three cruelest words grand final week that has ever been said, and they get said quite a bit, sorry, team balance. Yeah. You don't want to be on, on the end of that. But then if if they go in with a smaller lineup, then there's no bombing out of defence because you've got either a Weedering or a Harris Andrews on a mismatch down the line. So they're going to have to change their game style. They're going to have to kick it either to the ground or switch it, go to the open side. There's no get-out bomb that they've had for Myacek or they've had for Dan McStay, who have been so good in those areas. Mm. So they're going to have to change their game style with the ball transition. With, with, with a Mason Cox or Darcy Cameron up there assisting alongside with Myacek, can they make that work? You can make anything work. Mm. Just whether it's going to on grand final day. Yeah. So Cox, <laughs> That's the big question. Cox becomes a really important oh, figure up forward, doesn't he? He was fantastic last yeah, night. He's in done the that in finals I thought. Up front. I looked at Briggs last night, and, and just to the naked eye, he didn't jump as hard. He didn't compete quite as physically he robust. That shoulder's he did look sore. Um, gee, he's been walking away from every game this year with a minimum of eight clearances. He got three last night. Yeah, and they got to him pretty quickly. And Cox was so important in, in the ruck. He was as good as the, the Melbourne game. You know, when he came out and put the knee through Gorney and said, this is the standard... I thought he was fantastic in the ruck last night, that, Mason that's, Cox. That's the issue. If Cox is so good in the ruck, he's a better forward than Cameron. Do they have to swap that around? So they drop off a little bit in the ruck area to have a better forward structure. So you, who are you up against? You're up against Pittenet or Oscar McInerney. Big Oscar. Oh, I think you want to take Oscar. If I, let's say it is Oscar. I think you want to take Oscar on with what you can 
get best value out of, don't you? The reach of Mason Cox. And in this mood, where he's he's liking physical contact, which taken him a couple of years to adapt to that, but he's just he, he's loving it now. And it was the Brisbane Lions game where Cox was on as sub. He came on in the third he quarter and turned the game around. Had seven effective hitouts in the third yeah. quarter alone. Brought Penelope into the game. Turned the game back in, into an even balance. Played angry, and he's, he's been good ever since, hasn't he? Yeah. A lot to come. <laughs> <laughs> we'll close the book on the Giants' season. As Adam Kingsley's had a, a ripper first up. He, he acknowledged last night that if you'd said to him when he came in in mid-November, you'll lose by a point in a preliminary final, he couldn't see that. Mm. And yet you get to that point in time, and he said that it'll never, the burn and the guts will never leave on the score line like that. It doesn't. And already, if you just think on a Giants perspective, I can't see them dropping away. I think they're going to be really good for the next two to three years. They're sort of like a, a Collingwood or or Melbourne from five or six years ago, this is probably the emergence of them. Hold that list together. And some of them, that's why Himmelberg signing is so important. Yeah. A bloke in his prime who says, no, I'll stay here. This is not exactly home, but we've got something building here. I, I think they're going to be around for a long time. But win them when you get there as much as it's your 2008 <laughs> grand final, isn't it? You, People say, you've got to lose one to win one and that. No, bugger that. No, win them when win you, when as you soon as you get there. Yeah. My, my first signing for GWS is Iden. Connor Iden. Cross that half-back line. So impressive. He'd be, what is he, 23? Yeah, 23. Yeah, 23. Yeah. I'd be signing up for as long as you can. He's the quintessential third tall defender. Is He can play on a six-foot fiver and he can play on the resting rovers. And he's very clean hands, quick, and a real good size as well. Yeah. All right, so the Giants enter the off-season. The Pies go on to the grand final. We're at the Gabba. We'll talk about this game as soon enough. The Brisbane Lions and Carlton for the TAC. Don't use your phone illegally while driving TAC. The big news of the week really all happened in the last 48 hours, the signing of the CBA and what that means for the future, particularly a mid-season trade period. And Richmond has made their choice. Adam Uze is the new coach of the Tigers the, the uh, week of news for Gumbire World, visit Gumbire World these school holidays and grab a $55 unlimited pass, get a wild life. Tom Morris, um, the, the Ouse appointments, how, how did you take that in? It was so interesting to see the way that Richmond came to this decision, Jared, because they had been on the record and they'd spoken to various coaches about the fact that they wanted uh, someone with senior coaching experience before. And the reality is Adam Ouse has never coached his own team outright. But he's essentially been the match day coach for Melbourne while Simon Goodwin's been on the bench. And in the end, his interviews were extremely impressive. I heard him on the pregame on AFL Nation yesterday. And I'd forgotten that he'd actually come second to Matthew Nix at Adelaide as well as, um, as a couple of jobs last year at GWS and Essendon. He sees himself as a players coach. Um, he sees himself as a relationships coach. Hodgie, you were at Hawthorne when he was there, as, I think, as a development coach or an assistant coach as well. Do you think he's the right choice for the Tigers? Uh, yeah, as far as a, a relationship coach, he, he's he's definitely that. He um, I remember when his first year, because he took over from Luke Beveridge as a defensive coach, and I remember his first year, he was like, as a defender, you need like your teammates got to be standing there, right in that exact spot, and this is how we were taught. But uh, Uzo was more of a, ah, oh, he's all right in, in that vicinity, and he was. <laughs> do you know how the coaches have been a bit more flexible? They can be here if they feel comfortable there. And it was the first time I had a coach of just, hey, just relax, mate. Just this is how we're going to go. So I took a little bit to get used to, but there's no doubt uh, Uzo is a ripping fella. He understands the game. 
Um, if you're talking to how he's developed over the years, the Melbourne players love him as a coach as well. But he was the first real coach that I've had of this new era of coach, which was which is a big change. A couple of close losses while he's in the top seat will beat that laxity out of him. <laughs> the smile goes very quickly. Yeah. I, I love the fact he said his, his dad barracks for Richmond, so he's going to get pretty instant feedback now on that front. Uh, he spoke about the missing in those three processes as they were a kick in the guts. But he got the feedback, and then he had to decide what he would implement, what would he <laughs> refine in what he believed in, uh, or what would he stick to, no, I'm, I'm not changing to suit somebody else. This is truly what I think. And part of what he spoke about with us last night on AFL Nation was he thinks Richmond's forward half game had fallen away. And he said since about 2018, so not the full run through. And he thinks that's where he can make a difference to them. Um, straight away. So so we saw that, that Dimmer actually looked at the personnel and said, right, this is the game style I need. My personnel will suit this game style. And he tailored it to suit and fit and succeed. Isuze one who says, these are my players and that philosophy, or does he say, no, this is my game style. You will play this way. What do you think he'll... Or, or I think in today's day, you've got to be flexible with both. You've got to have... The core stroke. Even though someone like Dimmer won three premierships with his. Yeah, but you can only cook mantra. a sausage a certain amount of times. In, in, but it might be Dimmer's, a totally different structure. It, yeah, it, it but, might be. But, but, he, but he'll have his certain. Style to suit. Yeah, he'll have his certain structure that he wants his game style to be played to. Mm. And cl- clearly from the Richmond board going, yes, it fits our, our team, it will go along the lines. But he'll have different tweaks to it. He'll have different people playing different positions. That's what would have caught their eye, knowing that. I think what also caught it, he goes, how you played three years ago when you won premierships is not how you're going to win premierships today or moving forward. You haven't won a final in three years. So we need to change things up. You can't live in the past. You mentioned his emotional style, and yeah, that seems it almost sounds cavalier, but I'm quite sure it wouldn't be. Um, is he as smart as they say tactically? Because he's meant to be. Everything we hear, we don't, unless we sit in and we listen to it and we look at the whiteboard that he prepares, we don't know. Is he as tactically as brilliant as a lot of people say? I couldn't answer that. I had one year as a defensive oh, okay. coach and okay. we were very structured into the way we where we did things back then. Yeah. Um, and this was, I, I finished under Ooze in 2017. Yeah. So this was a long time. So he's developed a lot since then. But everything that you've, you've spoken about is if he's running the match day um, for Melbourne Football Club, he's been pretty successful the last couple of years. You'd say he's highly educated in that area. Question for all three. So the, we, we base a lot of our stuff on the US models. But the US models for um, signing a senior coach, as you might have been in the system at NFL, but then you can actually go back and coach your own team in its own right at college level and you'll be successful. I mean, their coaches are a lot older than we get our men into. We actually appoint coaches who've never done that actual job, that specific job, because being an assistant coach is markedly different to being a senior coach at AFL level. Yet that's the pathway that we know uh, is it the right one or we trust uh, is it the right one? What do you think? Well, if you look at Vossi, you, you would say that Vossi's came back. And Clark used to always say it, that a coach comes back better the second time around because he's learned a lot more, he's more knowledgeable. He's As you get older, you understand a lot more things as well, why things didn't work. Um, if you look at how Vossi handles things now, the Vossi 
four years ago or, or six years ago coach in Brisbane, I don't know, well, that would have been eight years ago, sorry, he wouldn't have been able to handle what he went through at Carlton round 11 this year because his maturity, his experience, he understands the ups and downs and just to be yourself. He wouldn't have known that eight years ago. So I'd say if we employ coaches, if they get sacked once, why don't we give them another shot? Let him go back and coach under someone different, learn a little bit more stuff, mature a little bit more. When they come back, they're six, eight, ten years more experienced. Surely they've got to be a bit in a better position than what they were the first time around. So on that notion, Justin Leppich will be a shoe-in for the next gig. <laughs> if, if he wants it. You have a think about what Leppich has done since he was tipped out of the Lions. I, I don't think he's been any worse than a preliminary final. He's been extraordinary. He's got the three premierships with Richmond... And, uh, and now back to a, a grand final with Collingwood. Yeah. And there's no doubt from when he got sacked at Brisbane that he would have learned off some very good senior coaches and you adapt and learn. So 100%, he'd be a better coach if he got a job next year than what he was back in 2016. There's Tom, no doubt about it. what are the implications for Melbourne who have... Uh, that, that's, that is a pivotal opening because Uze's been running the box for a couple of years now. Yeah, there's implications all over the league now, Jared, with these this assistant coach... Uh, merry-go-round. So Melbourne need to fill that hole. And it's not just, as I said before, an assistant coach, a run-of-the-mill assistant coach. This is a game-day coach. Simon Goodwin's on the bench. Adam Uze or whoever takes that role will be up on the bench as well. And there is an acknowledgement from uh, senior Melbourne players that they would like some fresh voices around Simon Goodwin. So I don't know what that means for Troy Chaplin. I'm not sure what that means for Greg Stafford. But it would be interesting if they went after Andrew McWalter to go and sit in the, in the seat that Adam Uze has been sitting in. Um, and then, of course, we know the Western Bulldogs have three vacancies they need to fill. We're not sure what's happening with Don Pike, potentially going to West Coast as a CEO. But Stuart Dew's availability, availability looms large as well. He's very close to John Longmire. It would also be ironic if he ended up at Melbourne, given that he said no to Melbourne with their succession plan under Paul Ruse about a decade ago. So Stuart Jew and Andrew McWalter will be highly sought after, and Melbourne now be there as well. So there's quite a few holes that need to be filled, and probably Melbourne's position that needs to be filled is the most significant of them all, given how much responsibility that role has on game day. I think there's three really interesting figures. Andrew McWalter, who's sat two-thirds of the season in the chair. Stephen King, who sat a third of the season in the chair. And Stuart Dew. Um, if you're looking for a level of seniority and know-how um, beyond, um, the, as, as Tom referenced, sort of the, the run-of-the-mill next group in, there are three prized assets, I think, on the landscape now. No doubt. You, you sort of take them individually, start with them individually, and... Stephen King is probably stiff that the coach of the last, well, yeah, yeah, six, seven, eight years, the best coach of the last six or seven years, I don't know how to describe it. Did he pinpoint? Did he identify? <laughs> he yeah. become available. <laughs> yes, yes, and that's where he's ended up. So no one stood a chance against that. No, yeah, no incumbent or, or, or in, installed coach stood a chance of winning that position once he said, yes, I would like to take on that position. And, and Stuart, you have spoken about what, what premierships, Port Adelaide, he went across the city, he was successful as assistant coach Still there. a big book. Back to Hawthorne, Gold Coast, he'd be, surely there'd be plenty of teams chasing him. Mm. Yep, there's a, there's a few to be had. Uh, the CBA got signed, Tom, who uh, who <laughs> won the negotiation? Uh <laughs> well, I think, the, I think the players won the negotiation. They had 11 objectives 
that they wanted to tick off, and they probably ticked off about 10.8 of them. The only one that they slightly missed was they didn't get to a 17-round AFLW season by the end of the next deal, but they got to a full-time salary by the end of the next deal. So other than that, the players ticked off pretty much every single thing that they wanted. If you look back to the very start of the negotiations, the AFL wanted a nine-year deal, the PA wanted a four-year deal, ended up being a five-year deal, which lines up with Tasmania. Um, the AFL also initially wanted 10 AFLW games per year for the next nine years. Even as a starting point, that was quite drastic, and the PA clearly worked back from that. So from a monetary perspective, male players will receive a 36% pay rise over the life of the deal, and the average salary will increase from 387000 at the moment to 519000 in that time. Um, and in the last CBA, players were paid 30% of the total revenue of the total pie. The next one, that's grown to 31.7. And crucially, Jared, that includes the women as well. But probably the thing that will interest footy fans the most is the prospect of a mid-season trade period. It's not locked in yet for next year, but you speak to people at the AFL and around Clubland, they think it's highly likely. There is a bit of pushback at the moment from some clubs because there's uncertainty over how this will affect the salary cap. But all things being equal, I think it's highly likely we'll have a mid-season trade period next year. What do you think, Haji? I'm, uh, I'm all for it, but you have to... I know the salary's getting up there, but you need to have approval from club, player, and it's got to fit in the salary cap. Mm-hmm. And that means if salary caps have to be swung a little bit or pay cuts or give people some bit of a pay rise to, to move. Um, but you wouldn't want someone on minimum wage to have to move to WA with family, move their kids, move their family over. It's only for a six-month deal. So they need to be looked after and need to be agreed upon by players, clubs, and obviously also fit, fit in the cap as well. I've always been of the opinion, why have a rule that stops players from playing at the highest level? And that's no, that, that has been a no uh, mid-season um, draft, what do you call it, swap time. Um, trade. <laughs> trade time. I just couldn't think of the word trade. Um, yeah, why have that? Just let players play if they're able to get a game somewhere. And, and if that being the case, the league will work a situation through where the salary cap is flexible enough under these circumstances. It will usher in a new age of list management, I think, is this will be for the creative minds at the start. And it'll be interesting to see how aggressive it is in the first year or whether it's utterly conservative and who might be able to steal a march. But um, my point has been the whole way through is if if we have six teams who are contending for a premiership between round 12 and 13 and two are prepared to move to get an asset, you watch the other four get on their bite. Is you really going to sit there and watch the teams you're competing against gather an asset in for the Premiership Assault and sit on your hands, I don't think so. Makes it look interesting anyway. There you go. Hodgie, <laughs> a, a, a trivia question for one of your brethren, one of our exes, a bloke called Bernie Jones, played at Hawthorne, number 31 in the 70s, when they had, when you had the ability to move from club to club during the season. And he played for Hawthorne on the Saturday in a specific round, and he was traded to Essendon in that round and played for Essendon on the Monday or the Tuesday of that split round. He played for two clubs in one round. <laughs> so I, presu- I presume Silvio Fashini ruined this for everyone. Yeah. Oh, I've got to go yeah. study the, the timeline there. Yeah. I presume hey, that's when it all Jared, went belly up. Yep. Can I just mention that the first round draftees will now be locked in for three years as opposed to two as well, which is really important because this is the push and pull of these negotiations. The players didn't want this. Um, 
and neither did their high-profile managers, but they relented in order to get their off-season break kept at the same length. So that was the back and forth that went on over the past few weeks. All right, Tom, we'll get you to take us through the, the trade scenarios for this year as they evolve during the week with a couple of players tipping their hands and clubs making their moves. The news of the week, visit gumbire.com.au. The school holidays get a wildlife. You're listening to Crunch Time. Zito Power Tools. German-designed quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group. Preliminary final edition of Crunch Time. We're sitting here at the Gabba ahead of the Lions and the Blues. The thoughts of Dermot Burton and Luke Hodge as we go. Tom Morris is in place. Some of the, the key planks of the trade periods were laid this week, uh, including some inside information on what North Melbourne has asked for in terms of assistance, Tom. So maybe start there for us. Yeah, let's start at the ruse. I can tell you today that North Melbourne requested a priority pick towards the top of the draft. That's pick three, which is after their first regulation selection, but did not request direct access to Riley Sanders, which we sort of knew for a while now. But they did want pick three. Now, Gillan McLaughlin, he's heavily involved in this decision, along with the commission. But I understand Laura Kane's recommendation at the AFL is to hand the club three draft selections that doesn't include that pick three. So these three draft selections, if the commission takes the recommendation on board, would be one late first round pick this year, one late first round pick next year, and then a second rounder next year as well. And the AFL, unlike last year, so North Melbourne, unlike last year, would be p- permitted to use those selections however they see fit. And if they want to, they can trade up to get Riley Sanders, who would only become available to, to them as it stands if he doesn't go in the top 40, which he will. He's a top five or top 10 uh, pick. So as I said, the commission will make the final ruling on North's assistance on Monday. The recommendation from the AFL is normally adopted, but it won't necessarily be adopted given that Gill is so involved and the commission might have its own views. But the recommendation will be for three draft picks across the next two years. One first, one late first round of this year, one late first round of next year, and one second round of next year. So in the first scenario you painted, which was asking for three, mm. uh, pick three, Yeah. so with Ben Mackay tipped in, that would notionally have given them two, three, and four in sequence. Correct. But it, as the AFL would point out and North Melbourne would point out, the Ben Mackay um, compensation is entirely separate to the assistance. So two very different things. But yes, that's that's right. That, if that was approved, they would walk to the dr- draft with picks two, three, and four. Let's be honest, Tom. No, it's not. If, if they kept <laughs> Mackay, they were getting pick three. There's no doubt about it. Hodgie, oh, I understand you're a sceptic. Uh, <laughs> no, no, this is just how things work. They've yeah. got people are making human decisions. If, they, if Ben Mackay had a state at North, they may have got pick three. Now that he's going, they're going to get a priority pick for him or a pick for him, compensation, compensation pick, mm. and they're not going to get the extra high one. They, mm. they might get the end of first round for the next three. That's just how it's going to work. <laughs> so that, that late first round pick, yeah. they would need to trade up to get Sanders, wouldn't they? Yeah, and they could use next year's two picks as well as future selections to trade up to get Sanders. So they'd have plenty of ammo to move up if they wanted to. I've, I've seen the last five games of Riley Sanders firsthand. He's, he's going top five. He's yep. a good player. Socks up, Dan. Needs, needs a little bit of 
reprogramming, but he's a good player. So reprogram. What do you, you mean by reprogram? North. Well, Riley at the moment knows he's good, and Riley at the moment is, yeah, he knows he's good, and he's he's, he's going yeah. to he's going to get a rude waiting walk in North Melbourne. Then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but he's a good he is a good player. He's going top five. All right, Tom, we're in your hands as to right. where you want to take us here. So let's stay at North Gold. Todd Goldstein told the club on Thursday he'll be leaving as an unrestricted free agent. Now, St Kilda asked the question, but that didn't go anywhere. Essendon is the hot favourite. They've been on the hunt for him. And he leaves with a kangaroo's blessing. Couple of, uh, a a double-edged question for you, Hodgie and Derm. Is it good for Todd Goldstein to leave, and where should he go? <laughs> oh, jeepers. Uh, is it good for him? Probably is where he's at in his life, and if he thinks I'd like to taste a little bit of success rather than two wins a year, um, I think he's got a big enough book that would suggest that, yeah, Todd, you go with our good grace and, and good wishes and find some success before you, you end up snatching it. So, yeah. good luck to they, you. They've clearly said to him that he's not in their first team next year, so yeah. he's going to be a backup ruckman, which is understandable. But the two places he's going to be going is one where it's going to be a premiership opportunity or two he's going to get a consistent game so yeah. if he believes that that's Essendon whether it's the premiership's probably a little bit further fetched than the, than but the game but why would you go week. where Draper is I know that's, they that's the other question coaching coaching, coaching the prospect of becoming a coach after he finishes playing and being in a new environment is what appeals to him as well so and that's you know that I know that yep he wants to be yeah, he wants okay. to get into coaching when he retires so um, that's part it, of the attraction yeah. If he's going to be a backup to a Draper, wouldn't you try and talk to a team that's in a top four, top six, be a backup to a, a Ruckman that may play in a premiership, and then you can do some coaching afterwards? Maybe you could go to Melbourne and be a backup for Max Gorn. What about that for an idea, given that Brody Grundy is going to be going to Sydney? So I, I just want to talk about Grundy here, because there's been a, quite a bit of information about his salary that's gone out and some confusion. Collingwood's um, commitment to his salary is to Brody Grundy. So Collingwood will be paying a portion of Grundy's salary wherever he plays. He could play at a different club for the next four years and Collingwood will continue to pay it. Um, the deal will be – how much Sydney pays will be dependent on their deal with Melbourne. So Collingwood will pay some of Grundy's salary and that won't change. Yeah, and Melbourne won't pay any of it. Uh, well, that's up to Sydney and Melbourne to determine. If the Swans give the Demons – a good draft pick, I think the D's would be more open to paying a little bit than what they would if they got pick 35 or pick 40. I think the most likely scenario is next year Grundy is paid by the Swans and Collingwood, but there's there's other sorts of ways that it can be sorted. It would be highly unusual for a club, for three clubs, to, play, to pay one player, <laughs> but it could happen. Yeah, it's been a highly unusual scenario yeah. really all the way through. And Ben Mackay's decision? Ben Mackay's decision wasn't a surprise that he was leaving, but it was between Essendon and Hawthorne, and they were duking it out right till the very end here, Jared. The Hawks were confident. The Bombers were confident. Um, he's a restricted free agent, so North does have the ability to match any offer. As I said several times, a long-term deal, $750,000 or more per year, that will get the Ruse pick three, and that will see Mackay walk to Essendon. Now, the Bombers are stoked. The Hawks are flat, but Essendon's presentation... I'm told, was the real clincher here. And it included only players, Jordan Ridley, Andrew McGrath, Mason Redman, and Zach Merritt. And they won him over. And actually, Ridley and Mackay are close as well. So I'm not sure what didn't appeal to him about the Hawks, but I know that he was seduced by 
Essendon. He's played under Brad Scott before, um, and this deal will get done now uh, as a free agent. And it's a big win for them because it's exactly what they were looking and it's looking for. And it sends the Hawks back to the drawing board. They've missed out on a few in in recent months. The Hawks they missed out on Liam Henry. Um, they missed out on Asava Radigalia. Now they've missed out on Ben Mackay. And they're not interested in Tom Duday, but they are keen on Marbio Chol. Now, Marbio Chol's being chased by three clubs, and I'm prepared to say today that Marbio Chol will not be a Gold Coast next year. He's got a two-year deal still remaining, um, but given that the Crows, the Lions, and the Hawks have all shown interest, I think uh, Chol will be at one of those three clubs. I think that gets stronger now that Jacob Kaczynski said yep. he'd like to trade to, uh, to Richmond as well. So that would... Just on a needs basis, Hawthorne probably need another player to stand up in the forward end of the ground. Mm. The other one uh, is Travis Boak. I've been strong on this for a while because Travis Boak has been told he can play on if he wants. He's just got to weigh up whether he's prepared to play Sandful next year for a period of time. Five games, ten games, it might be 20 games. So that's up to him. That decision will come this week. Just going back to Essendon for a moment, they're looking for players rather than draft picks in a in the deal with Brandon Zerk-Thatcher. So Zerk-Thatcher will get to Port, and they're not looking for draft picks in return. They want players. And I just wonder what sort of player they're going to ask for. And the player that initially came to my mind, Jared, which I spoke to you about on the trade bell a few days ago, was Ollie Wines. Given that Essendon had a crack at him a few years ago, they are looking to bolster their midfield. They have salary cap room. He's been pushed out to the wing at Port. I don't know whether they actually can on him this time around, but I do know they're looking for players. And I wonder whether that could be a left-field um, quite a marquee trade. Zerk Thatcher, Ollie Wines, and there'll clearly have to be some other players and draft picks involved as well. Yeah, so Wines was a name that, that drifted into the trade mm. conversation that had a couple of new ones this week. The the trade conversation? Yeah. Yeah, well, the Swans and the Ollie Wines were linked. I think that's more because they're looking for an, an inside midfielder. I wasn't able to put any meat on the bones, as Sammy Edmund would say, around that. But Essendon are looking for an inside mid. Um, and then we know that... Um, that they're also looking to bolster um, their key defensive stocks, which they are with Ben Mackay, and also get Todd Goldstein as well. So, And Jade Gresham's the other one with the Bombers. Jade Gresham, um, oh, Essendon's very keen on Jade Gresham. There is some reporting in the Herald Sun around the potential for Dylan Shield to get to St Kilda uh, via trade and for Gresham to get to Essendon via free agency. And that compensation would then allow St Kilda to pick up Liam Henry. So I'm not even sure if that's allowed. I need to check with the AFL because I know they were quite tough a few years ago on Crouch going from Adelaide to St Kilda under similar circumstances. But Dylan Shields' name is being bandied about quite a lot. He's got one year left on a deal. And I'm confident that if a club came to him and offered him two or three years and it worked for Essendon, then that's something that the player and the club would seriously consider. Okay. And pick four at the Suns yep. has been the centre of, of a lot of posturing and jousting so far, <laughs> and that's intensifying. It's quite entertaining from a, a, a footy nuffy perspective. I love this sort of stuff. That they're, <laughs> they're all going after this pick four. They don't know which player is going to go pick four, but it's a um, it's really a, there's a clear front runner now, and it's the Western Bulldogs. They've got picks 10, 17, and 36, which gives the Gold Coast Suns what they want. Now, this doesn't mean that Melbourne or Adelaide or any other club is completely out of it. Um, but I do think it's the Dogs to lose now. And I think that there's an also an acknowledgement from the Suns that the Dogs are the front runners too. 
Yeah, so they, they just need the points associated with yeah. multiple picks. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's been it's to the to the highest bidder, really. Yeah, that's right. And they need those points to get three, if not four, academy players in. Some news out of the West this week. Brennan Cox signed a six-year extension. So he was going to be a free agent at the end of next year. He's now locked into Frio until the end of 2030. So he's the Fremantle player with the longest contract. Uh, and he's off that free agency list as well. So that was a long-term deal that I don't think anyone saw coming. End of 2030. Mm. Long contracts. Gee, I'm starting to feel old. <laughs> <laughs> 2030. That's extraordinary. Again, a, a calibre of player that you wouldn't expect to be getting that length of contract. I, I, no, when you say calibre, I understand yeah, I what you're quite, not being, you're not, not detracting quite, no, from maybe him. Maybe status is yeah. the right he's, he's, he's not a... Um, uh, he's never going to trouble anyone in the in the Brantlow or anything like that. But he is what he is is a uh, um, a key position player who is exceptionally important to their structure. It's it's the same as you what they did. Same as what they did here with Jack Payne. They're blokes that won't ask for too much. They'll show loyalty to the club and they just want a little bit back. So they'll do them on a long term deal, knowing that they will lock them away at a good price that they're going to be happy with. Like Scotty Pippen. <laughs> yeah, that ended up, that ended well. <laughs> Can I talk about the Giants briefly, Jared? Do we yep. time? Yep. So Elliot Himmelberg's on their radar. Harry Himmelberg's brother. He's contracted at Adelaide for next year. They would like to bring him in, which might spell trouble for Lockie Keefe, who's who's out of contract. In fact, he was the only Giants player last night who doesn't have a deal for 2024. The one to watch from the Giants is Nick Haynes. He's contracted for next year. He's on a seven-figure sum. We've spoken about him a fair bit, Jared, on the trade bell. Um, clubs are aware that they can get him as long as they're willing to foot that bill for the year. So I'm intrigued to see how that plays out over the next month or so. And from a coaching perspective, all their coaches are under contract. Brent Montgomery, Craig Jennings, Ben Hart, Jeremy Laidler, they all joined full-time next year. So they're very stable. It's just what happens with Nick Haynes and whether they can get Elliot Himmelberg in. Yep. Is that the lot? That is the lot for now. Oh, just one more to watch. Tom Duday. That could be this week. We'll have to wait and see. We know the Lions like him. The Collingwood Football Club also like him. So he's that one sort of key defender that's remaining. And he's uh, Hawthorne about out of Tom Tom Duday. Yeah, they're yep. not interested. Yep. Yeah, he's an old Hawk supporter. Grew up barking for the Hawks yep. as a kid. I wonder if that, uh, you know, get back their interest given that they've missed out on Radigalea and Ben Mackay. But at the moment, as far as I know, they haven't. How has Collingwood got more room in their cap? They just seem to be loaded. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I think, I, think I, I feel the same about Melbourne. I mean, there was a... I think the term war chest was used with Melbourne this week, which surprised me given that they're paying so many star players. But I think the clubs have more room now and more certainty because the CBA has been signed and that um, that natural uptick will allow more flexibility, which could mean that there's some quite ridiculous sums of money being thrown around. All right. Good on you, Tom. Thank you for running us through the trade scenario as it stands. We're sitting here in Brisbane where the forecast today for Rainbird, the intelligent use of water, is a top of 23. It's 23 now at quarter to one. And by the time we start this game at five o'clock, it'll be 20 degrees and then the sun sets at quarter time. Luke Hodge and Dermot Brereton in place. We'll talk a little bit of the Blues and the Lions coming up next. You're listening to Crunch Time. Zito Power Tools. German-designed quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group. Hollywood into the grand final. The Brisbane Lions and Carlton at quarter past five here at the Gabba. Luke Hodge, how big an afternoon it is in Brisbane? 
Well, it's huge. We've got the Broncos tonight, and most importantly, we've got the uh, the Brisbane Lions at 5.15 today. And Look, Jared, if you if you talk to the Brisbane supporters over the last few years, this is the best year for them. Like we, we've spoken. Everything's worked out for them. They've got a fit team. Yes, Jack's, Jack Payne's out with his foot, but Darcy Gardner comes in for him today. But they've had excellent form here. Haven't lost a game here throughout the season. Um, but we all know finals are a different story, and this is the nervous part for them is... And what the, the supporters are saying is they've got to this stage so many times the last four years and, and fell short. They just need to go that one step further. I know we always say because it is in the time, it's your best chance. But it just feels like yep. this is bona fide. We were thinking were they better performed than they ha- really were in terms of capabilities in previous years because of this home ground advantage. Clearly they've got that now, but they are better performed. Yeah, I think when they made finals the first couple of years, they were a young team that just played some really good home. They didn't understand pressure situations. In, in big games like this, you've got to be selfless all the way through. As we saw last night, you need to do it to, to the final siren where GWS felt a little bit short. Uh, but you, you're right, the form that they've played, the, the, the balance that they've got all over their side, they've always had an exciting forward line since Charlie came, Hipwood's developed, uh, Danaher, Cam Rainer's really matured. Their defence has been stable. Um, they've got a really good balance in the midfield. Dunkley coming in has really helped it. They've got McCluggage, who's got that run. Berry's physicality. Lockie Neal's in and under. But Dunkley's that two-way runner. Happy to, he'll go to Cripps today. There's no sure thing that he'll go and sit on Cripps. Predominantly a defensive style inside midfielder, isn't yeah, it? He is, yeah, but he had 30 on Cripps last time they played and kept Cripps to That's teams. the biggest personal one-on-one beating I've seen Patrick yep. Cripps take in terms of... Uh, not beating physically, but out on the field, you're, you've been beaten by your opponent. That's the, that's the worst I've seen him beaten in the one-on-one. It is, but it doesn't happen two times. And then you look at the Carlton side yeah. of things, and you sit here and go, this, like, you, you hear about the momentum of Collingwood and what they've been able to do with their big crowd. What Carlton have done their last two weeks, in close situations, won the tight games. Um, they're getting back in Mackay. They're getting back in uh, Martin. Cripps on fire. Kerno's had a couple quite games, which... You, very rarely you see Kerno have three quiet games. He's kicked the goal the last two games. But it's, it's a build-up for a really, really good game because two teams are flying. They're playing some really good football. Can I ask you about the imbalance that Payne out makes up, upon the back line? Because you've got Harris Andrews. Do you play your best defender now on the best forward, Charlie Kerno, who's big enough to trouble everyone? And given that you've got two other second and third defenders, Gardner and Ryan Lester, who are both around that six-foot-three mark, 192 centimetres, playing against De Koning and Harry Mackay. At some stage, one of those boys is going to be playing on someone who give who they give away eight, nine centimetres yep. in height to. Yeah, that, and that's enormous. That's like you playing on Libba. <laughs> and I mean Tony. <laughs> um, I think if you look at it, you'd go... Uh, Gardner in for the, he'll play the goal square so he'll play in Kerno I believe uh, and you, then, could you really yeah, oh, he, he's his he's football the last 12 months hasn't been to what we've expected but he's he's been injured for 12 months he's played well, consistent VFL this paper, year paper scissor rock is Charlie's pace going to be too much for for Gardner? He'll be too agile for Harris Andrews. That's why you can't play Harris Andrews on him. I'd be playing Ryan Lester or Darcy Gardner, but I'd give it to Darcy Gardner. And then higher up the field with the De Koning and a, a Mackay, I'd have either a Harris 
or a, uh, a Ryan Lester mixing between those two. So that's how it starts. And the thing is, they've got flexibility. They might be able to swap between the three throughout the day. But I, th- I feel that Kerno's too agile for Harris Andrews. Derm, we're going to have a lot of time to chew this over mm. in the lead up to the opening siren. So we'll be back here yep. soon enough. Who wins, Hodgie? The Lions just. Tom Morris, thank you. Thank you, Jared. Hodgie and Derm. That's crunch time. More from the Gabba in a couple of hours. Thank you.